All of Scripture is God-breathed and profitable. But before us this morning might be one of the most heartening texts in all of Scripture. This is where we learn about God's personal care and concern for every single human being. And while it is a true statement to say that God has a particular covenant people, while it's true to note that God's way to redeem a person from sin is through His Son, Jesus Christ, it is nonetheless true to say that every human being matters to God. It is in Psalm 139 where we are assured that we do not worship a God who is far off, but a God who is nearby. Written by King David, Psalm 139 reveals how extensive and how pervasive God's care is. Jesus describes a similar kind of care when he explains to his followers, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I've sometimes heard individuals remark as, as they, they are concerned about some minor details or circumstances in their life. I hear them say, well, God has bigger things to look after than this. God has more important matters before Him than this little thing that's confronting me. If we've ever said something to that effect, we have not yet scratched the surface of understanding just how big God is. The Apostle Peter gives a glimpse of the eternal perspective when he writes, With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like a day. I can see that it hurts my brain to try and consider the full extent of God's knowledge, presence, and power. It cannot be fully grasped by the finite mind. And yet I am very grateful to King David who attempts to draw out for us some of the practical and some of the personal implications of belonging to such a God. David begins, O Lord, you have searched me. You know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. We can make the same inference from David's description of God's care as we can from Jesus' description of God's care. And it's this. God knows us better than we know ourselves. God knows us better than we know ourselves. No detail in our life escapes His notice. Well, if that's true, there are massive implications for how we live our lives every minute of the day. If He perceives our thoughts from afar, 
If He knows every single action before a word is on our tongue, He knows our heart. This has massive implications if it's true. Now I can illustrate this a little bit as I think about those times when I've been in the company of the Prime Minister of this country uh, or the Governor General of this country. Perhaps you've had a similar experience. I'm normally a person who's comfortable in my own skin. But for whatever reason, when certain individuals of high regard are in the room, I, I become like a very nervous person. I begin thinking about my every move, my posture. Did I do up my tie all the way? Did I remember the little buttons on my collar? I begin to fuss about things that I wouldn't normally be concerned with. Because we recognize that someone of great importance is in the room. Now I'm not very good with protocol either. I get a bit nervous when someone tells me, well you've got to keep protocol. I'm not sure what protocol is. I find that I get into all kinds of trouble. I can think of one experience in particular where I got tongue-tied in my attempt to address the Prime Minister of this country appropriately. I couldn't do it. I don't even remember what I said, but I'm sure it was quite garbled. And he was wondering, well, what in the, why did we give this guy a work permit? He can't even address me properly. How is he going to address people on Sunday morning? And yet if there is... If there was someone who would point me out to the Governor General or someone who would point me out to the Prime Minister of this country, I'm fairly certain they wouldn't know my name. Oh, they might recognize me from a few functions, from a few events that we shared in common, but I'm quite certain that they wouldn't know my name. Well, I share this illustration with you because I want us to get a sense for how awesome a reality it is. To learn that the God who created all things, the God who created the universe and all that is within it, knows your name. He's always with you. No detail of your life is insignificant to Him. Nothing escapes His notice. If I can give another analogy that comes to my mind, it's when I show up at Anya's swimming practice. Now, I think many of you know that my daughter, my 11-year-old daughter, Anya, is a competitive swimmer, and I try to attend as many of her practices as possible. And I've noticed a certain dynamic that happens when I show up partway through the practice. I show up, I take my seat uh, about 30 yards away from the pool, and she's doing her thing back and forth, going through the motions. And she's, she's doing what's expected of her, but there's no uh, real edge or intensity to what she's doing until she notices that I've sat down. Once she detects my presence, once she sees that I'm watching her, she ratchets up her effort and her intensity. Why? Because her father is watching. And she instinctively wants to please her father. Similarly, if we regard God as our heavenly father, then we should have the same instinct to want to please our Father in Heaven who has a constant eye for what we are doing. 
God's concern is described even further in verse 5. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. What does it mean to hem somebody in? What is David getting at? I think of my experiences as a child at summer camp. That moment when you would go on a hike and there's a couple of adults entrusted with a pile of kids who aren't very good at following instructions. So the way these camp leaders deal with the rambunctious children, of which I was maybe the most rambunctious, is you would have a leader out in front. No one was ahead of this adult leader. They, they set the path, they set the direction. But there was always an instructor who was far behind. Last, in fact. No child would be behind this instructor. And what they were doing is they were hemming us in on that path. By setting an adult at the front and an adult at the rear, they made sure that no child could get off track or get lost. And I sense David creating for us a similar image. But of course, God doesn't need multiple people. A God who is everywhere can quite easily hem us in on every side by His providence and make sure that we do not get off track and that we do not get lost. Now, after considering God's intimate knowledge of His creation, David makes a confession in verse 6. And this is important. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too lofty for me to attain. It's like David stops himself and says, you know, I'm saying some things to you. I'm writing some things down. But I need you to know these things are beyond me. I'm just giving you a glimpse. I'm just giving you a sample. These things are too big. They're too lofty. I think any time a person reads the scripture, we should do so with the humble recognition that while God can be known and while some things in scripture can be known with confidence, there is another sense in which these things are too big for us. John Calvin comments on this verse and says, David speaks against the folly of measuring God's knowledge by our own. Very commonly, he says, people will not allow God's knowledge to be greater than what comes up to their own apprehensions of things. David, on the contrary, confesses that God's knowledge is beyond his comprehension. This is so very important. So often as we begin to put together who we think God is and what our beliefs about God are, we sometimes use the phrase, well, the God I believe in wouldn't do this or would do this. But what are we doing there? We're imparting our apprehension of things onto God as if God was altogether like us. And David wants to be clear. He's not. He can be known, but he cannot be fully known. He can be interacted with, but you need to know that his ways are above you and beyond your comprehension. That's the first six verses of the 139th Psalm. They're about the omniscience of God. 
And, and the more I linger on that topic, the more my brain feels pressure because I cannot fully understand. And then he goes on to a, a, not a, an easier subject, but to an equally challenging subject. The next six verses of the psalm, verses 7 and beyond, describe the implications of God's omnipresence. God's omnipresence. Look at verse 7. David asks, where can I go from your spirit and where can I flee from your presence? And of course these are rhetorical questions. You can't get away from God. You can't hide from God. Pretending He's not there doesn't change the fact that He is there. You cannot escape God because His presence fills all things. David wants us to know that God's omnipresence is not as an idle bystander. I don't want us to imagine God sitting there in the corner leaning over, inspecting what we're doing. I don't want us to picture God's omnipresence as if He were an idle bystander. The God we worship through Christ is an act of God. He is an act of God. Listen to what David says in verses 9 and 10. Even if I settle on the far side of the sea, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like that's just what we've done. We've settled here in Nassau, New Providence, at the far side of the sea. But even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. God is active with His presence. Commenting on the omnipresence of God, Charles Spurgeon says this, if it were possible to go any place where God is not to be found, that would be the hell of hells to his people. Even when we are not seeking him, even still he is above, beneath, and all around us. He has never been very far from any of us. As you heard... In the announcements this morning, as you heard prayed for by Erla this morning, this has been a very, very tough week for our church family. You could say that this has been a really tough year for our church family. We have lost loved ones that left us far too young. And in these difficult days, in these seasons of great trial, passages like Psalm 139 bring tremendous comfort. Because David wants us to know that we are never, ever alone. We may feel lonely. We may feel as if we're on our own. But the reality is God is with us. And God is with us all of the time. His care and His concern for you is profound. David's description of God's care gets even more personal. As personal as I can think of as he reflects on his origins in verse 13 and following. This is... This is deeply personal stuff. David says, you created my inmost being. 
You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. There's a lot in those verses. I could give ten sermons on just those verses. But for your sake, I want to pull out one gem and give it to you this morning. You exist. You're here on this earth because God wanted you to. You exist because God wanted you to exist. Now, I can't tell you the number of times a parent has gone up to me says, Oh, you know, little Johnny over there, you know, he, he wasn't planned. You know, he, little Susie, she was an accident. You know, so-and-so, she was an oops baby. You know, I hear people say that and use that language all the time. But Psalm 139 makes it clear. In God's eyes, there's no such thing as an accident. In God's eyes, you are not here by accident. God made you on purpose. And God made you for a purpose. God's interest in our lives is further described by David in verse 17. How precious to me, David says, are your thoughts, O God. It's an awesome thing to consider that God thinks about you. Have you given that consideration recently? The Almighty, the one who created all things, thinks about you. Is it a passing thought? Is it a fleeting thought? Is it a once in a blue moon thought? David says, how vast are the sum of them? God's always thinking about you. Consider for a moment. Consider for a moment how you feel when someone says to you, you know, I'll be thinking of you. Or, or they call you and they say, uh, the reason I'm calling is I've been thinking of you. When that happens, when a human being, when a spouse or a friend or a child or grandchild says, I've been thinking of you. It touches our heart, doesn't it? It feels great. It's comforting to know that people are thinking of us. Or to speak in social media terms, think of how you feel when someone on Facebook likes your post. Or someone on Instagram hearts your photo. It feels good. It makes you want to post again. It makes you want to upload some more photos. We like to know that people are watching and they're thinking of us. It encourages us. And, yes, and yet we have here a more blessed truth. The God who created all things thinks about you. The God who created the universe thinks about you. More precisely, there is not a moment in time when God is not thinking about you. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, come on, Brent. You know, what are there, six, seven billion people on this earth? 
Think of all the things going on. Think of all the sparrows. Think of all the living beings on this earth. Really? There's not a moment. Really? And when we try to get our brain around that fact, that God is concerned with 7 billion, 8 billion people, that He's concerned with every sparrow and livestock, when we consider all that God is concerned with, then we will begin to scratch the surface of just how big this God is. And yet He thinks about us. He thinks about you. Now why are these thoughts so significant? Well, it's significant because of who God is, of course. But it's significant that God thinks about you because God's thoughts, and this is important, God's thoughts accomplish things. When God thinks, stuff gets done. Now, I need to tell you quite honestly, I tell people all the time, in all sincerity, I'll be thinking of you. Or I tell them I have been thinking of you. But quite honestly, my thinking of people doesn't add any practical value to their life in the sense that my thoughts do not accomplish things. It may be a very kind sentiment that I think of people, that I call them up and say, I'm thinking of you, but I'm not nearly as helpful as I'd like to be. I might be well-intentioned, but the, the level of practical assistance I offer is quite small. But what I want us to notice this morning is that when God thinks of you, stuff gets done. God has the power to carry out what he's thinking. And the fancy word we give to this is the word providence. Providence. You might say that providence is the outworking of God's thoughts. As God designs things in his mind, not that he is a mind like us, but as God designs things in his mind, he brings about a plan. He brings about an overflow which we call providence. You read the scriptures and you see how pervasive God's providence is, how pervasive his influence is. But what you'll also notice is that the sweetness of God's providence often follows some very severe trials. This has been the experience for many of you, I'm sure, that the sweetness of God's providence often follows some very severe trials. How do we know this? We know this because we've read the book of Job. We know this because we followed the story of Joseph. We know this because we've read the book of Ruth. We know this because we tracked closely the life of Jesus the Christ. Indeed, the burden of the cross comes before the blessing of the resurrection. The burden of the cross comes before the blessing of the resurrection. And so as followers of Christ, as people trying to walk in the footsteps of Christ, our life is likely to follow a very similar pattern. Now there may be people sitting here this morning who have not yet had any major or serious trials in your life. There might be some sitting here saying, well, I haven't had 
those dark days. I haven't been in the valley of the shadow of death. There might be some who, who are sitting there thinking, well, it hasn't happened to me yet. It will. It's only a matter of time that all of us have a season of great pain. There are others who may be at this very minute are sitting here wearing a burden that no one but God sees. The worst has happened to you and you're feeling that right now as you sit. And there are still others who are here today who've made it through the storm. You've made it through the worst. And you've come to see the wisdom of God vindicated over the course of time. Well, whatever your circumstances are before you today, I want to assure you of this with the weight of King David's words from Psalm 139 behind them. God is for you. God is for you in Jesus Christ. The Almighty is nearby. And He intends to work in you and through your circumstances, promising to bring about a most blessed outcome. I want you to remember this morning, God made you on purpose. God made you on purpose and He made you for a purpose. So I implore you, trust in Him. Amen.